want to ask you to go ahead and make a mental check of all of the things that you own in life, all of your possessions. Go ahead and take a minute and just make a mental check of those things. And as you're doing so, I want to ask you a couple of questions. Which one is your most valuable, your most costly? Secondly, if you had to give it up for the sake of following Jesus, would you do it? And thirdly, is it costing you anything to follow Jesus? Keep those three questions in mind because those are the big faith questions that Jesus will ask of us today as he gives us a glimpse into what authentic or true discipleship looks like. We're in the book of Luke, Luke chapter four, 14, I'm sorry, and I will read verses 25 through 33. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned, that is Jesus, he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now, the question that the text is really forcing you to ask yourself this morning is, what kind of a Christian am I? What kind of a disciple or follower of Jesus am I? It will ask three questions of you that get at the meaty idea of, in, of authentic discipleship. Now, when we use the term discipleship, what we mean are the intentional activities that you regularly engage in that mature you in your faith, in your relationship with Jesus, and enable you to become more like him in attitude, focus, and behavior. That definition came from CRU, C-R-U, that um, organization, whose, one of whose missionaries we support in the field. Let me read it again the intentional activities you regularly engage in that mature you in your relationship with Jesus, enabling you to become more like him in attitude, focus, and behavior. Now, what do I mean by authentic 
discipleship? And how is that different from inauthentic discipleship? The word authentic means genuine, genuine. Inauthentic means counterfeit or fake. Now Jesus taught us in his parables about two types, these two types of discipleship, both authentic and inauthentic. In one of his parables, he said that authentic discipleship is like wheat, which a man sowed in his field. All right, so on the one hand, and I think there's a graphic behind us. All right, so there's wheat that is sowed in his field. That is an example of authentic relationship. We'll come back and unpack that a little bit later. Inauthentic discipleship, on the other hand, is like weeds which the man's enemy came and sowed among his field of wheat while his servants were sleeping. Now the wheat came up and bore grain, which it should do. But so did the weeds. The weeds also came up, prompting the owner's servants to ask him this, or to say to him this in Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 30. The, the servants came and said, Master... Did you not sow good seed, meaning wheat, in the field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burnt, but gather the wheat into my barn. An example of authentic discipleship and inauthentic discipleship. Grain, I'm sorry, grain-bearing wheat is an example of authentic discipleship in that it exemplifies the follower of Jesus in whose heart the seed of God's word is sown, which results in a change in behavior, focus, and attitude. Can I say that again? Grain-bearing wheat is an example of authentic discipleship in that it exemplifies a follower of Jesus in whose heart the seed of God's word has been sown and it results in fruit of changed behavior, attitude, and focus. Now, weeds that are sown among the wheat exemplify inauthentic relationship, inauthentic discipleship. It exemplifies the person who passes for being a Christian. They pass for being a Christian. But their attitude, focus, and behavior and not being changed by God's word. They are like weed that only takes up space and competes with the wheat for the soil's nutrients. Now Jesus teaches that authentic discipleship involves counting the cost of following him. In other words, Jesus wants you, before you even start following him, to realize that following him will cost you. It will cost you. Now, following Jesus is the greatest enterprise on earth, bar none. But Jesus wants us to know that it will cost us. 
And so he wants you to sit down, get your pen and paper, or your calculator now, because, you know, we've, we've become a little more advanced now. We're kind of high-tech now, right? Get your calculator and calculate exactly what it will cost you and whether you're willing to, in fact, pay that cost. I think it was about maybe three, almost four years ago that John Hunt uh, challenged me with something that has stayed with me since, ever since then. I'd never heard it said before he said this that we must be prepared to give to Jesus our predetermined yes. Even before it happens, even before God puts you through this test or that test, or even before you realize how difficult and how challenging this assignment will be or that, make up in your mind that you're going to say yes. Give him your predetermined yes. So the question is, how is it that Jesus wants me to count the cost in advance, even before I start following him? How does he want me to count the cost in advance, and I have no idea what it will cost me? I haven't started yet, but yet he's telling me, before you start, count what it will cost you. Because if I don't know how much it will cost me, how can I count the cost? Now, these are great questions that all of us must wrestle with, but today I want to, th to show you three decisions that distinguish authentic discipleship from inauthentic discipleship. They will be in the form of three questions, the first of which is this, will you be a crowd-dwelling Christian or an inner circle Christian? In other words, Will you settle for being a Christian who stays in the crowd where there's no commitment or demands made of you? Or will you decide to press into Jesus' inner circle where commitment drives your discipleship? So that's a great question to ponder. And so we're told in the text that great crowds accompanied him and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. But do you realize that it takes very little for crowds to be attracted to Jesus? Crowds are always drawn to this spectacular, which is where we get the word spectator from. All it takes is to witness a miracle or two, or to be the beneficiary of a fish or two, or, or a blessing or two, however you want to put that, and they are in. It doesn't require anything at all. Never mind that there is no commitment on their part. Never mind that they're only in it for what they can get out of it. Never mind that they tend to leave when things don't turn out the way they expected. They're in. Now, one day Jesus was so distraught over the fact that crowds were leaving him as fast as they were coming to him that he turned to those in his inner circle and he said to them, what about you? Are you going to leave in the same way that they left? I want you to listen to how Peter responded when Jesus asked that question. John chapter 6, verses 67 through 69. 
When Jesus asked the question, what about you? Are you going to leave in the same way that the crowds are leaving? Peter said this, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So authentic discipleship means differentiating yourself from those who are merely in the crowd who are following Jesus without any commitment whatsoever. Those who leave when it gets less exciting to do so. Those who leave when it gets difficult, when things don't turn out the way that they expected. Differentiate yourself from those kinds of people in the crowd. Be an inner circle Christian whose faith in the living, the life-giving Holy One of God is real and who remains committed to following him even when others leave. Be that kind of a Christian. I'm going to show you a graphic here that differentiates a crowd Christian from an inner circle Christian. A crowd Christian is careful about not standing out from the crowd. They want to blend in with the crowd. They want to blend in with the crowd for fear that if they got too close to Jesus, their friends would label, label them as holy rollers. Remember that name we used to call people long, you know, way back when, when they were too committed? We called them holy rollers. We don't want to be called that. And so we prefer to stay with the crowd rather than to stand out from the crowd. An inner circle Christian, however, is not ashamed to identify with Jesus. They constantly strive to get as close to Jesus as possible, realizing that they need his life-giving breath in them and on them. A crowd Christian follows Jesus when there is something in it for them. Their relationship with Jesus is purely transactional. In other words, Lord, as long as you're doing something for me, my family, my children, and my dog, I'm in. I'm in. An inner circle Christian is more concerned with following Jesus as Lord, serving as he wants them to serve, and even gathering up the fragments that others leave after we have served, and after they have eaten. A crowd-dwelling Christian is nothing more than a spectator who watches and gets upset when the game is not played the way they want it to be played. An inner circle Christian plays the game to his coach's satisfaction. A crowd-dwelling Christian loves Jesus with a love that is inferior, inferior to any other love, whether for father, mother, brother, sister, wife, husband. The love with which they love these folk are inferior to the love with which they love Jesus. An inner circle Christian loves Jesus with a love that is superior to any other love. Be it for father, mother, husband, sister, wife, brother, even their own life. Your love for Jesus must be superior to any other love that you have. 
Now let's pay attention to the very strong language that Jesus uses to differentiate between crowd Christians and inner circle Christians. Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate, that is a strong word, isn't it? Now obviously, Jesus does not mean, please don't go home and tell your husband that, you, that, that Pastor Theo said that you must hate them and love Jesus. Because that would not be true. That would not be correct. It's a strong word. Really, Jesus means to love them less. To love them less than you love me. Does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters. Yes, and his, even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. What this is saying is that if you are going to be an authentic disciple... If you're going to engage in authentic discipleship, then you must strive to be on the inner circle. And if you're going to be on, in the inner circle, you are going to be willing to pay a relational cost. That is the first cost that Jesus is dealing with here. A relational cost for following him. You must pay that. I know that you love your husband, your wife, your children, your siblings, your grandchildren, but if you love them more than you love Jesus, Jesus says, you cannot be my disciple. So when I sit down to calculate what it will cost me, I need to first of all make sure that I'm willing to pay any relational cost that stands in the way of my, of, of my following Jesus. Secondly, Will you be a cross-bearing Christian or a cross, I'm sorry, will you be a cross-wearing Christian or a cross-bearing one? Jesus says, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, this is not the first time in scripture that Jesus um, uses the term bearing your own cross when talking about authentic discipleship. In fact, in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, he said to everyone in the crowd, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father of the holy, and of the holy angels. What this is all telling us is that bearing your cross is not quite what some of us think that it is. Some of us have a way of saying if we're going through some difficulty or whatever, well, that is my cross. It's not your cross. It may be a hardship, but that's not what Jesus is referring to when he is asking that we take up our cross. What he is asking us to do is to learn how to say no to ourselves. And we as Christians have to learn that. That's what it means to be a disciple. We are not good at saying no to ourselves. We are good at indulging ourselves. And isn't that correct? We are. And yet Jesus says, if you are going to be an authentic disciple, 
if you are really going to follow me, you have got to learn how to say no to yourself. Some people call that self-denial. It's the same thing. Some people also call it dying to yourself, which is a stronger term. Now, Jesus not only taught that, but he illustrated it. He illustrated what dying to self means because he picked up the very cross upon which he knew that he was going to die. Imagine that. Now, if I was going to take up a cross and carry it, unless I was forced to do as he was, if I was going to take up a cross knowing that I was going to die on that cross, I, I wouldn't want to carry it. And yet Jesus is really saying to us, when you are when you're choosing to be one of my disciples, that is the idea that I want you to have. You're going to pick up a cross daily knowing that you are going to die on that cross. Maybe not in a physical sense, but in a true sense, in a spiritual sense. Now, Pastor Greg Laurie gives us a list of practical examples of what dying to self means in our, in our modern day culture. I read through this list for you. It's about six things. He says, forgiving instead of harboring unforgiveness. Resisting the temptation to do what everybody else is doing. Refraining from having sex before marriage and remaining faithful to your spouse after marriage. Putting down the remote control and picking up your Bible. Praying when you would rather be sleeping, swallowing your pride and telling somebody else about Jesus, doing what God wants instead of what you want, losing your life in order to find it. Are you willing to die like this for the sake of following Jesus? Did you know that the Greek word for disciple is the word from which we get the word martyr. Every disciple in the New Testament who chose to follow Jesus did so knowing full well that they were kind of signing their death warrant. It was like a death sentence for them. And yet they chose discipleship over convenience. So authentic discipleship means that you differentiate yourself from those who are merely cross-wearing Christians. Because you see, there's some people who uh, proudly wear their cross as if to say to the world that I'm a Christian. But Jesus says that that's not the right kind of cross-bearing that I'm talking about. It means I want you to daily pick up your cross and follow me knowing full well that in the process of doing that, you will die. So if serving Jesus and remaining faithful to him will cost you physically, or already we said it might cost you relationally, if following Jesus costs you physically, will you be willing to pay that physical cost? Thirdly and finally, Will you be a risk-averse Christian or a risk-taking Christian? Jesus goes on to say in his parable, For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not 
first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Now, a risk-averse Christian is one whose motive in following Jesus is like their insurance policy. It is their get-out-of-trouble-and-get-into-heaven card. That is sometimes why people choose to follow Jesus. Just so that at the end, they know for a fact that they will get into heaven. But a risk-taking Christian risks all even his life, to follow Jesus. I believe that your faith may not be worth anything if it doesn't cost you anything. If it doesn't cost you anything to follow Jesus, you're probably not following Jesus at all. Now look at the two examples that Jesus provides to make the point that following him is risky and costly. In the first slide, you're going to see that authentic discipleship is like building a skyscraper. When building a skyscraper, you must first ensure that you have enough material, enough manpower, enough financial resources to make sure that you complete the whole thing rather than being stuck at the foundation. Because if you were to do that, and not have the resources and the manpower, it would cause you embarrassment because people are going to look at you and they're going to say, look at that fool. He had such lofty ideas in following Jesus, but now look at, he's right back where he started. If not worse than where he was before. Secondly, in the second slide, you'll see that authentic discipleship is like a king who goes off to war. Now, he must first ensure that he have enough soldiers in his army to match and defeat the enemy king. Because it would be embarrassing if, when he realizes that he's outnumbered, he has to send a delegation to say, let's hold off and let's make peace because I'm not able to conquer you. So Jesus says that serving Jesus and remaining faithful to him means that it will cost you financially. And if serving Jesus and remaining faithful to him will cost you financially, will you still be prepared to pay that cost? The bottom line of our message this morning is this. You cannot be an authentic disciple without renouncing everything that you own in order to follow him. Now I wrote this and you know what Grammarly told me? How many of you guys are familiar with Grammarly, right? That new spell check thing, grammar check. Grammarly told me that I was too harsh. <laughs> that I needed to say it differently. But this is true. You cannot be an authentic, this is what Jesus is saying. I cannot be an authentic disciple of Jesus if I don't renounce everything I own. It may not necessarily mean giving it up, but it certainly means devaluing it so that I place more value on my relationship with Christ than I place on the things that I own. Here are two application points that I want you 
to leave with. The first of which is this, count the cost before you say yes to him. Before you say yes to Jesus, know what you're getting into. Know that it will cost you. Because you see, like everything that you get into, whether buying a house, buying a vehicle, marrying your high school sweetheart, or taking that job, it requires that you consider what you're getting into. You have to. And following Jesus is no different. You must consider what it will cost you, and believe me, it will cost you. It will cost you. But it is better to lose everything. In fact, Jesus himself taught that. It is better to lose everything and to gain Jesus than to gain everything and lose your own soul in the process. So the question then is, will you say yes to following Jesus? Secondly and finally, following Jesus requires the commitment to do so Whatever the cost. Whatever the cost. I'm told that the legendary football coach of the Green Bay Packers, Vince Lombardi, he was, he was, he was known for his um, pep speeches and stuff. And so he once said to his disciples, I quote him, We know how rough the road will be, how heavy the road will be. We know about the barricades that wait along the track, but we have set our soul upon a certain goal and nothing left from hell to sky shall ever turn us back. That's what he challenged his players to do. Here's a question. Do you feel the same way about your commitment to Jesus? To being a disciple of Jesus? John Wesley identified what he called means of grace. And by that he meant that there are certain disciplines like prayer, reading scripture, receiving the Lord's Supper, fasting, and fellowship, which if you participate in them, God will work or use these things to work in you to shape you to become more like him. So my question to you is this. Are you prepared to set your soul upon this goal of becoming more like Christ and to let nothing from, from, from sky or hell, turn you back from that commitment and that goal. That is the discipleship to which Jesus is calling us. That is authentic discipleship. Anything less than that, Jesus says, and we are not worthy of him. Let us pray together. God, we examine our own hearts before you this morning. We desire more than anything else to be true disciples, authentic disciples, people who are committed to the cause of Christ, people who are willing to renounce any other relationship, anything valuable, to love you with a love that is superior to any other relationship. In God, we realize that this causes us, this means that we must die to some things so that the life of Christ 
may be manifested in us. God, make us willing to do this, Lord. And even though this sounds like something dull and hard, there's nothing more exciting than for a person to be fully alive serving Christ. God, you're calling us to much more than we have settled for, and we ask that you'd give us the grace to be able to jump in with both feet, to grab you with both hands, and to go all the way with you, living for you, being genuine disciples of Christ. So God, send us away from this place today with this challenge in our hearts, this calling that you've placed upon our lives. Help us to match it with our obedience. In Jesus' name we pray.